If you would uh, open in your scripture journals to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, or you can use one of the Bibles that are on your row. The theme of 1 Thessalonians is living with and for Jesus while waiting for Jesus. So we are seeking to live with him, seeking to live for him as we wait for his return. And the past two Sundays we've been looking at specifically living in God or gospel-centered relationships while we wait for Jesus to return. So we're talking about relationships. And this morning, we're actually going to spend one more Sunday uh, in verses 1 to 12 from chapter 2 um, and just get a little more mileage out of that, and I'll explain why in just a minute. Um, but for now, Kelly's going to come, and Kelly's going to read to us First Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. No, oh, sorry, Kelly. I'm sure it's not on, because I always forget. No, I forgot. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kelly. All right, well, this morning, I'm going to do something a little different than what we typically do. Um, Typically, we read a passage and we kind of exegete the passage, try to figure out what does it mean and then how do we apply it to our lives. And we've been doing that with this section for two weeks now. And I feel like we've got a lot of um, good momentum, a lot of good application. So we have the seven points that we've come away with that have to do with our relationships. Relationships are important. Relationships are hard. Relationships get messy. But God designed them to be a place where we practice these things in a way that it puts God at the center, Jesus on the center stage of our relationships as we attempt to live one another with one another on gospel mission. 
And so as we've been looking at these, this past week, I've, this is, sermon is kind of more like birth out of, a, out of a pastoring burden, just out of caring for all of you and loving all of you, making sure that I didn't say things in the last two weeks that have been confusing or unhelpful. So I want to bring some clarifying things. And then there's some specific things in here at the, at the end that I want to address. This sermon hopefully doesn't feel disjointed. So it's going to be a little bit review clarifying for us and our relationships with each other. And then I want to shift and take a few minutes to talk to the, to the teenagers in the room, to the children in the room, and then to the parents in the room for a minute. So they are all are birthed out of these 12 verses. So we're going to be in these 12 verses, but we're going to kind of approach it more of these are the things God has stirred in my heart this week for us as a church. And what I think is kind of crazy is that when Tyler Jordan and I picked 1 Thessalonians, I had no idea what chapter 2 was about. I mean, I studied a little. It didn't have a handle on it, really. But the timing of this chapter and the things that God seems to be doing amongst our people, among us as a church family, seem to really be coinciding in a really kind of unique way <laughs> in how much, uh, how much participation everyone is giving, how much time everyone is giving to spending with one another um, in the way we're trying to reform some community group stuff, uh, things are happening spontaneously, having 10 groups of three that meet every week. Um, there's a lot going on, and it seems like there's like a, a really good momentum. So I, you, we should all be encouraged. Like, it seems like there's a lot of good uh, friendships being built, time being spent with one another that I think I'm very encouraged. I'm Tyler and Jordan, we're just very encouraged by this. And so I don't want anything that I've said to kind of taint it or confuse it. So I'm going to bring just some disjointed, clarifying kind of things, and then we'll jump into some uh, encouragement. So first thing is this. I want to make sure that you all understood, and I got, I got input from someone that was helpful for me to think through this a little more clearly, and that is my comments last week about saying when someone in your group shares something with your group to not share that with others. Don't share it with your spouse. Keep it confidential. And I just want to make sure, because I don't know everyone's church history here, I don't know your background, that you know in no way am I saying that you should hide abuse or you should hide addictions or you should hide. That is not what I meant at all. In fact, if someone in your group shares something that's uh, very sensitive that way, whether it's abuse, um, whether it's self-harm or addictions, I think the group needs to say, you know, maybe you should get some help outside of this group. Like, I think the group's responsibility then is to urge them to talk to someone else, talk to me or Tyler or Jordan or somebody to get that out in the light. Because when it's in the light, there can bring healing to it. And so we just need to keep that in mind. So just want to make sure no one heard me saying something like, you know, share your stuff and then keep it secret. That wasn't the goal of me sharing that. It was more to prevent us from being a church, which I don't think we are, but to be careful that we don't end up gossiping and slandering or saying things to people that somebody else didn't want you to say it to. You guys know how it goes, right? You've been there on both ends of it. I've been there on both ends of it. So just want to make sure that I was clear in that. Um, no cover-ups, no hiding going on. Um, the second thing that I thought I would just help maybe bring a little clarity on, and this could be a whole sermon in itself, is how, how we handle sharing things with one another. We want to share stuff with each other that's not just, you know, oh, it was a beautiful day yesterday, right? It was sunny out. Like, we want to share stuff that's really happening in our hearts, the stuff that hurts and the trials and the struggles and things we're trying to work through. So just to bring clarity on this one, I want to make sure that you didn't <clears throat> hear me say, you know, when somebody shares, just give them Jesus. Like, somehow that's like, just do that. I want to make sure you heard, and uh, maybe I rushed too quickly. I would never do that. <clears throat> so... What we will do when someone shares something sensitive is to listen and listen 
and listen and ask questions. Ask questions so you understand what they're going through, and it'll give them a chance to basically be able to articulate what's happening in their souls. It's amazing how many times I've met with people, and I've done nothing but ask questions, and the person self-counsels themselves just by asking questions. So just be sensitive and ask questions. And then I would say, I think it's important for us to affirm that what they are dealing with is real, whether you can identify with it or not. Because there's times where some people have shared with me things, and I'm like, I cannot identify with you at all. But I know that what you're going through is real and painful. And sometimes people just need to hear that, like that they're not losing their mind. You ever been there? You share something thinking, they're going to think that I'm insane. They already know you're insane. So they need you to say, you know what? What you're going through is real. That's a real trial. It's real what you're going through. So we all need to hear that. They, they are sorry for what they're going through. That what they're going through is hard and it must really stink. So empathize with them, I would say. And then, and these are not in chronological order, right? They, they need encouragement that they just shared. Because I know what happens as soon as you're done sharing something that seems sensitive, that maybe others wouldn't know, is you immediately start to think, maybe I shouldn't have shared that. Right? Some weird thing happens in our hearts where we're like, ooh, I feel very vulnerable right now, and maybe I shouldn't have said all that, and I did, and now it's on the table, and they know who I am. So people need to be encouraged. Like, thank you for sharing that. Honored you would share that. Help them battle those thoughts of regret that they probably have even as the words are leaving their mouths. And then it becomes, if you've done all that, there's that awkward moment of transition where everybody in the circle genuinely wants to say something beneficial and encouraging, which often can default into, oh, don't worry, it'll all work out in the end. (laughs) Or God's got a plan. Or here's what helped me. Here's what I would do if I were you. And so trying to avoid those things, not that telling them that God's got a plan is a bad thing, but trying to avoid that, what we're trying to build as a church, instead is really just believing some of the things that Jesus said to us in the Gospels, where he says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, you want to lead people to the Father through Christ or lead people to Christ, you have to believe that he really has all the truth. That he is the way. To, to believe Jesus when he says things like, you can do nothing apart from me. So if you can do nothing apart from Jesus and you want to do stuff, I have to give you Jesus. Does that make sense? Trying to connect maybe different dots than we had before. I mean, Jesus simply said, come to me and I will give you rest. So how do we lead people to Jesus to get rest? So we talk about, try to connect what they just shared with something specific about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do. That's what we mean. It's connecting to something real in someone's life. I shared a half illustration a few weeks ago. I'm going to share a quarter that's of the half that's left because I don't want to take all of our time on this. But I shared with you guys how I was sharing anxiety with Elsabeth, how I was, I was anxious and how, how she helped me and how she had to keep helping me with the same repetitive thing. So to take it a step further, the anxiety I was experiencing at, at that time was silly. It was ridiculous. It was my imagination that had run. Does anybody else ever have this happen? <laughs> my mind started to run down these roads and I was like... Like, my mind was freaking out over something that would never happen. And so she said, Matt, that will never happen, because I needed to hear that. But then all she did was ask me, 
well, what do you know to be true about Jesus? And that simple question began to unleash in my mind things that I know to be true about who Jesus is. And even if those ridiculous imaginary anxieties came true, I was okay because I had certain truths about Jesus in my mind that was helping take those crazy thoughts captive, and there became a peace over me. Does that make sense? There's a book on the book table um, called Gospel Fluency. So for any of you guys who have not read that yet, um, that book we have found helpful as, as a church. We don't agree with everything that's in it. It's not the Bible. It's not God's Word. But there's some helpful connections that the author makes with how to do this, how to speak Christ into things rather than just our opinion. So if you've not read that, they're free on the table in the back. Please take one, and I'd encourage you to read it. So anyway, so there, there, there's that. I want to make sure nobody heard me just, you know, somebody shares and just, but, but, but Jesus, 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 you know, like, let him have it. Like, it's not what I was saying. So to make sure you know this is the process that we walk through with people, and it takes time. All right, good. All right, next little thing. And this is what I'm going to spend the most time on this morning. And this is, this is because we're, you guys are doing this, and so I just want to add fuel to what we're doing. And that is, why, why, what are the reasons why God wants us to meet together in the first place? What is this all about, this gathering, whether it's in this setting, but primarily we're talking about in groups of three or in community groups or some kind of smaller setting. So I want, to, I want to tease that out a little bit so that you'll even be more excited about what we're doing. You'll even want to be more committed to what it is you're already committed to. So last week, I jumped off of uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. I launched off of that word, encourage each other, and I went to Hebrews, because we've memorized that in the past. It's been a big verse in building our church. And so I want to go back there briefly this morning, and I want to tease it out a little more, because I think I might have rushed it last week to help us see the importance of what we're doing, of our gathering together. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 tell us this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You guys remember talking about that last week? So let me just figure out how to clarify this little thing that I said last week to make sure that nobody felt condemned or judged. So last week, and I did that little thing where I said, so Matt, are you saying that if I'm not meeting in some way with some group of people that I'm sinning? And I said, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's what God is saying. Remember I said that? And I don't know how that landed on you. I don't want to sound like a jerk, like I'm like trying to lay waste on everybody in the room. The point is, it says here that we are not to neglect meeting together that we're supposed to have some setting where we're with each other to stir each other up to love and good works. And so, really, the point is, when God tells us to do something and we don't do it, it's called, it's called sin. So I'm not saying that it has to be in our little group of three things that we're creating as a church, because here God's not prescribing who to do it with, where or when. We're just trying to put some kind of structures to help us to obey what God has called us to do. Does that make sense? So there have been people that members of Christ Church that said, look, right now I can't do what we're doing in our groups of three and stuff, but I have this other group that I can actually meet with because it's connected with work. And I'm like, go for it. As long as somewhere, please, somewhere you're being stirred up to love and good work. Somewhere you're being encouraged because we need encouragement. I don't think we even know sometimes how much we need encouragement. So our little structures that we have set up here, they may change. They're not the gospel. They may morph into different things. They're just a means to an end. 
And the end is that every one of us at some point is spending time regularly being stirred up and encouraged in two ways. And so the verse talks about love and good works. It talks about love. Talk about our hearts. And I know most of you well enough in this room to know that you have a deep desire to love God more. You do. You, you want to love God more. You, you, you listen to the command to love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you go, yes, that's what I want. I want to love him more. You, you read the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, and you go, yes, I want to love people more. Well, part of our meeting together is to stir each other up to do that, to love God more, to love each other more. And then he goes from the heart to actions, to good works. So it's not just encouraging one another and stirring up love for one another and for God, but then to go out and do the things that God has called us to do with our gifts, to live on mission, to serve, uh, to do even some of the seven things that are on that sheet that we talked about last week. So that's the point of meeting together is I need you to stir me up to do those things. But then the passage here goes even deeper, and this is the part that I wanted to highlight this morning, because there's another reason or purpose that God shares this with us. Why is God so passionate about us being together? And yes, it's so that we can image him in all of those ways, but there's also a very big warning here, because the verse that we love, verses 24 and 25, about stirring up one another to love and good works, is a part of a sandwich, and it's the steak in the middle of the sandwich, and there's bread on both sides, and the bread on both sides is very helpful to motivate us, to warn us as to why meeting together is so important. So I think it all fit on one slide. Um, do we have the next one, Kinsley, with the whole verse? There we go. So the middle of this is the verse that we've already talked about this morning, and now I'm going to show you the sandwich on either side of it. So here's what he says. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. So there's a little bit of a warning there. Hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then we get to our memory part. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So I think it's already kind of bolded and underlined up there. But do you see the warnings on either side? Wavering, not holding fast to your confession and wavering. And on the other side of it is sinning deliberately. So you've got these two, I guess you could say extremes. You've got casual wavering. It talks about holding fast, having a grip on your confession of faith. And then after a while, it starts to lose its grip. And you start to let it go and you begin to waver. And then he talks about the other extreme, which is deliberately sinning, just choosing to sin. And he could be addressing here even a process where we maybe just dabble a little here, we wander, we drift, and the next thing you know, we start sinning deliberately. So it could actually be a slippery slope that he's addressing. It's probably both. It's probably two extremes and a process. But in the end comes 
judgment, and a fury of fire. And so what is God's protection plan for you? What is God going to set in place to keep you from wavering, to keep you from sinning deliberately so that you end up with a fury of fire and judgment? The answer is, don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. So all of you, I guess, are part of a fire insurance company where we're helping each other, we're keeping each other from fire and from judgment. Now, I know this raises lots of questions because we are reformed as a church and we love to be reformed. We are missional, we're charismatic, and we're reformed. And we say we're reformed, we mean you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the faith that we're saved by always produces some kind of fruit, proof of our salvation. But there's also this tension in God's word, tension that many like to get rid of. They don't like it, so we pick a side. But there's a tension, and it's between God's saving grace and then human responsiveness that are both in Scripture. In fact, they're really both in this verse. If you look up on the screen, it's there. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for, what's it say? He who promises faithful. So you hold on, but he's faithful. He's faithful to keep his promises to you to save you while your saving faith is placed in Jesus Christ, but you're still holding on. So we hold on, he's faithful. I hold on, and he has promises that he's going to keep. Somehow they work together. Do you understand that? I think the danger sometimes is drawing conclusions that somehow I'm exempt from wavering. Whether we say it out loud or it shows up just in our hearts, this idea that I could never waver and I could never sin deliberately. And sadly, you may, and I do, know way too many people that once proclaimed Christ, sang next to me, prayed with me, discipled me, who today do not love Jesus and are not walking with him. And I'm not saying it's because they neglected this specific command. More went on than that. But the point is, don't exempt yourself. Take the warning seriously. Believe that you need others to help encourage you to hold fast, to love, and to good works. So this is how God's warning really to us. It's how he designed the thing. You get together with other people as one of the ways that you hold fast. It's to protect you. It's God's way of keeping you from wavering. It's, it's way of God keeping you from falling away from the faith. So for me, I don't know how this plays out in your life, but I'm pretty confident I'm born again. I sense the Spirit's power in my life. I love Him. I'm grateful. But I still spend time each week praying, God, save me. Have mercy on me. I need forgiveness. Don't loosen your grip on me. Help me to tighten my grip on you. Jesus, I need you more than anything else. Don't run far from me. I need you to run at me because I know I'll mess this thing up. I, I, I pray things and talk things to God each week that acknowledge I could sin deliberately. 
I am prone to wander. There's no question about it. And so this is, this is what it really means to be a, a Christian, right? It means we're constantly reaffirming and putting our faith in Christ, even though I'm, I'm born again, but I'm, I'm going to do my part and acknowledge my need for him to keep me, for his spirit to fill me, to humble myself before him. And so, so that's, a, that's a piece of it. And then I also need others in my life to help remind me of how glorious and wonderful Jesus is so that I will hold fast to him. So we need each other. I think we need each other more than we think we do. I think you pull back the curtain and you go, whoa, there's fire and judgment. And I need you to help me so that I don't wander in that direction unknowingly or sitting deliberately in that direction. So we need each other. And maybe more than we even realize sometimes to help us. And even in this setting, I mean, everything we do in this setting is really designed for the same thing, right? To help you hold fast to your faith. And we sing songs on Sunday to God and to one another that are crafted carefully by Kaylin and by Tyler before Alex was helping out with, with we're going to have a, a liturgy that walks us through our faith. So the first song is always about the glory of God, the greatness of God. And then we sing something about our sin and our sinfulness. And the third song is something to do about the gospel and our need for a savior. And the fourth song is about us wanting to live for him because of what he's done for us. So we're almost walking ourselves every time we gather through what we need for our, in our souls to keep us from wandering. Does that make sense? So we need it. I think, I think we need this. I think this is good and right. And I think we also need some kind of smaller setting where we're getting together where somebody can look us in the eye. They can share their troubles. We can share our troubles and we can encourage one another. So I just want to encourage us to keep doing what we are doing. I pray that this adds a little fuel to the fire. Wrong analogy. <laughs> or maybe that's the right analogy. I don't know. <laughs> so keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. You can and you need to, and it's good for us. So keep it up. All right, now I'm going to transition. I want to circle back to 1 Thessalonians. We've got these seven characteristics of gospel, God-centered relationships, and how they're meant to allow us to image God and to show off God and to enjoy each other more. And there's this secondary application that's here that I have always found so, so helpful as a dad. And so I want to just draw our attention to a couple of those things just for a minute or two, and then I want to address some of the kids and the teenagers in the room because there's so much here for us, and I want to share within that even just a burden I have in my heart for all of us. Um, specifically our, our young men and women that are in the room. So anyway, verse 7, in case you didn't notice, verse 7, if you look at it with me, it says, like a nursing mother. You guys see that? That's verse 7. Paul is using the illustration of a nursing mother in order to talk about gentleness and affectionate care. And then if you look down at verse 11, he says, for you know how, like a father with his children. So somehow, somewhere, Paul was in a setting where he saw a nursing mom, a mom interacting with an infant, and a dad encouraging his kids. And so when he got to this part of his letter, the Spirit brought those images back to his mind, and he used them as an illustration to make a point. What I want to do is talk about why he used that as an illustration. Where did he get it from? And how do we learn from that illustration in a way I think that can help us as parents? So parents, I'm going to address you just for a minute. Now, hopefully this is helpful. Um, so let me, let me read the whole verse here. Let me talk, start with the mom one. Verse 7, he says, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. 
So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. That little paragraph, I think, describes the nursing mom that he saw. He saw how she was treating her infant, and he was like, that's love. That's patience. I mean, for those of you that have done the whole nursing thing, you know that you're up every two or three hours, right? (laughs) You do the process, then the kid poops, then you finally almost fall asleep, and the kid poops again, and then it's time to nurse again, right? You, You know the cycle that happens. And so I think he's saying, look, this is love. It is patience and care and love that is poured out on a child. And I think this example, and it's not just limited, I think, to moms. I think he's not saying, dad, you shouldn't be this way. I think dad should be this way too. But it's a sense in which we are to love our children. I know that's not new to anybody, right? (laughs) We're to love our kids. But we know that because of the fall there are times where it is hard to love some of our children. Maybe I'm the only one who at times have struggled (laughs) with no child in particular ever. (laughs) And you guys know this. Sometimes there's adults that are just harder to love than others, right? People sometimes are just harder to love than others. And I ask myself, why? Why are some people harder to love than others? Why is it a challenge sometimes to love kids at certain seasons in their life? And I think the answer is clear. It's because my love is too small and too short. It's not on them. It's on me. My love is not high enough. My love is not wide enough. My love is not long enough. And my love is not deep enough. That's the issue. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't times when it's harder, legitimately harder to love. Maybe a child when they're screaming things at you that are unkind and angry. I'm not saying it's not real because that is real. And so we've got to speak Jesus into that, right? And realize that according to the gospel, we were screaming things at Jesus when he showed abundant love to us and died in our place. So there's a place for this. But the point is simply this, love our kids. God wants us to love our kids. And there's power in the gospel for us to love and to love in a way that images God and paints an accurate picture of Jesus' love for us. Because that's really the aim. That is the goal at the end of the day. So I think there's just simple application. And I know it's basic and it's very simple. But I know that sometimes I need to be reminded of this in all kinds of settings. Otherwise, I can become bitter or cold. I need to be reminded, oh yeah, you're supposed to love people. And so I think sometimes parents need to be reminded, you know what? You really need to love your kids. God wants you to love your kids children. And I pray even to ask God to help cultivate a deeper love in your heart for your kids. I know that's very simple. I know that's basic Christianity. But sometimes I think we just got to be reminded of some of the basic stuff. Cultivating a deeper love for our children. Okay, then we shift over to this second little analogy that he uses, this illustration that is about a father with his children. So if you'd look with me, This is why I love these verses. Read verse 9 with me. I'm going to just go through this and stop at the father part. But tell me if this is not parenting. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We work night and day. (laughs) Do I get an amen? (laughs) That's parenting. That we might not be a burden to any of you. 
while we proclaim to you the gospel of God, I pray that's a part of our parenting, you are witnesses in God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you, and we could add to towards you children, to, to our kids. And then here's this illustration. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We looked at this last week. I want to look at it from a parenting perspective here. Again, not just a dad, but I think this is, this is helpful to moms too. But basically the illustration is that the dad does two things. He encourages and he charges. He encourages and he charges. So first, he encourages them. A parent's job is to encourage his kid, encourage his kid, and encourage his kids. That's it. And I don't think that means saying things like, you can do anything you set your mind to. If you just try harder, you can get it. This isn't Disney. Right? This is, this is reality. I think he wants us, parents, to encourage our kids really just to live the way that God created humans to live. And when you watch how a lot of humans are living, you realize it's not working out real well. We encourage them in what it means to know and love and walk and live for Christ. Encourage them to find their worth and identity in Jesus. And these are just basic encouragements that our kids need to hear. And then to know your kids. Some, some kids need more encouragement in the doctrine of sin, realizing they are a sinner. Others need way more encouragement in the doctrine of grace because they're really aware of the fact that they're a sinner. So it's knowing where, where does my child need encouragement and to give them that encouragement. For spouses to work together on giving the right encouragement at the right time to their kids. And then as kids begin to get older, I think it's important to help our kids understand what it means to seek God on their own. What does it mean to seek God on their own? Listen, Kids don't need 24 hours a day, seven day a week, entertainment on electronic devices and video games. They need help knowing what it looks like to seek God. It was hard enough for me to seek God when I was in high school, and I didn't have all the distractions that high schoolers do today and middle schoolers. So kids, listen up, and parents, listen up. This is for all of us. I, I think I told you guys for like the last year I've been living in the book of Lamentations. And so this verse in Lamentations has just really helped me. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man or woman that he or she bear the yoke in his or her youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. So many things I want to say about this. First, teenagers, young adult, preteens, I want you to notice it talks to youth here specifically and the encouragement that it's good for you to learn what it means to sit quietly and to wait for the Lord, to seek him. So I want to encourage you this morning, teenagers, young adults, to learn what it means to seek God, to sit and seek him. Or maybe go for a walk and seek him. But you're not too young to ever seek God and to spend time seeking him. And so parents, I want to encourage you to encourage your kids and to show them what it looks like to seek God. Because it's going to look a little different for all your kids. Seeking God for me is, is 
less often sitting still because I'm too hyper. I got to be on the move. So maybe that's your kid. I don't know. There's lots of ways to seek the Lord, but I love this verse. It directly addresses youth. Pay attention to this. And then, of course, there's the, the heartbeat that I have for this with all of us as a church, and that is that we would all be practicing this. Uh, do you know what it's like to do this? So I'm going to ask you, do you have a habit of this, of seeking God quietly, sitting in quiet, getting alone for just a little bit of time to seek the Lord? It's good, and it's really hard to do because your to-do list is going to be screaming at you as soon as you try to sit and do something quiet. So beware. But I just want to encourage us with this verse. We need this application. Fight your to-do list. Parents, help your teenagers. Teenagers, pursue God. Adults, let's pursue God together. Let's make that a regular habit in our families. And the second thing he talks about is charging. I'll end with this. He says, charge. Charge them to walk in a manner worthy of God. Parents, your kids need you to charge them to do the right thing. They need you to, to, to look at them and say, you can please God. God is calling you. You can walk in a manner that's worthy of God. They need you to show them what that looks like. They need, you need to show them that that is your priority, that, that you see the worth of God worth walking with so that they'll want to follow in your footsteps. And listen, it talks about the, the worthiness of God. If, if the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature is found in Christ, then we just got to show them the worth of Jesus. So parents, I would say, make it a habit to show your kids the worth of Jesus and say, now walk in the way that he wants you to walk. Walk with him. Walk for him. Walk with Christ. Of course, to do all of this, you as the parent also need to know and savor Jesus as worth everything to you because they're going to catch that from you. So parents, it's a charge to you to make sure your kids know that you are more passionate about Christ, that Christ is worth more to you than anything, than money, than their education, than sports or good grades or a clean bedroom or not fighting with their siblings, whatever all the other things are that are important. May the worth of Christ rise to the top so great and so grand that they know he is everything. He's worth it all. And may they see that and hear that from you so they'll want to walk with Christ as you walk with Christ. So do it. Don't ever underestimate the influence that you have on them when you command them or encourage them or charge them to walk in a manner worthy of God. Don't underestimate it. Don't. Charge them. Charge them with questions. What would it look like for you to please God and to walk in a manner worthy of him? Let him hear it come from you and say it often to them because he is calling them, according to this verse, calling them into his own kingdom and glory. I think it's a good assumption that your kids are put in your family so they would hear the gospel. Kids in this room, children and teenagers, you are in the family you are in because God put you in that family. And God put you in that family and brought you here even today so that you could be called into the kingdom of God. That's the reality. He is calling you. He is drawing you. And you are never too young to respond to him in faith and say, Jesus, you're everything to me. I want you. I need you. I want salvation. Because he's calling you. He's calling you into his own kingdom and into his own glory. Let me illustrate this for the teenagers and the, the children in the room. Didn't you guys do fireworks on the 4th of July? 
You guys do sparklers or something like that. So when I was a teenager, actually when I was a kid, we always celebrated at my grandparents' house. And my cousin would always come, he was older than me, with all of the explosives every kid could ever want to have. And he would set them in the yard, and, and certain of my cousins were allowed to participate more than others based on parents and their fears of kids blowing their heads off and all that kind of stuff. But I remember when my cousin, who was, of course, cool because he was older than me, uh, would invite me into his kingdom of fireworks. I'd be like, hey, why don't you come on over here? Let's light some. I'm like, yeah, and I loved it. I was like, this is the coolest thing. I'm not, I'm not only doing something cool, but I'm with somebody cool. It's the same thing, only 100 times greater. Jesus is inviting you into his kingdom, and he's cooler, and he's got better fireworks. And he's saying, come, be a part of my kingdom. Be a, part, be a part of what I'm up to and what I'm doing. Join me in this. And he's doing that. He's calling you. He's calling you into his own kingdom and into his glory. And parents, you often get to be that voice to them. God's calling you. He's calling you. He's drawing you. Like, our kids need to hear that. Our confidence in God, our faith in God that God is working. They need to be encouraged that way, and they need to hear us as we talk to them that way. So encourage your kids. Charge them to walk in a manner that is worthy of God. Charge them to walk into the kingdom of God with you. And let's be sure to keep doing this as a church family. I, I love the chaos that happens when the benediction is pronounced. The kids are everywhere. Stuff's happening. And I love to watch all the different adults interacting with all the kids in the room. Keep that up. Keep asking them, what did you learn in Christ Kids today? Look at their craft or whatever it is they have. Like, talk, like keep it up. I'm not, I don't have to say anything more than just keep doing what you are doing, engaging in the kids in our church, making sure they feel like they are part of this family so they'll want to be part of the kingdom. So keep loving them. Keep loving these kids. Keep it up. Don't underestimate the influence you're having when you greet a kid, when you talk to a kid, when you interact with them about what they've been learning. Don't underestimate that. We're part of a family, Right? We need each other. And those kids need community. And so we're that for them. So parents, adults, everybody in this room, just, I'm just saying, keep it up. I think we're doing a great job in this. Keep moving forward. Keep serving in Christ kids. Keep finding these kids after the gathering and be a blessing to them and make them feel like they are part of the family. I'd like to say one more thing to teenagers. That's okay. Teens that are in the room, just like to have your attention in just for a second. I know that some of you are introverts and some of you are extroverts. I know some of you love to talk about everything that's in your life to people, and some of you are zip. Don't say a word. I want to encourage you to share with your mom and dad. I just want to say it up front. If, if they're going to encourage you, they need to know what's going on in your life. So just an encouragement to all of you not to bottle it up. Whatever the things are that are going on in your life, be sure to share those with your mom and dad. Let them know what's going on. Let them help you walk through the stuff that you're walking through. Don't keep it to yourself. If they're going to encourage you the way that God wants you to be encouraged, you need to share with them. So be transparent with them. Let them know what's going on. I'm done. What a great closing. Just want to say thank you. Thanks for all you guys are doing. And just let's keep going. Let's not grow weary in doing good. Let's keep seeing God together. We're going to sing a song or two. I'm going to pray. Let me pray for us as the band gets on the stage. Father, thank you.
Thank you for my friends in this room. Thank you for the way they're seeking you. God, I pray that we would just press into our relationships even more. God, that you would help us to love each other, help us to speak Jesus to one another, help us to make sacrifices for one another, help us to encourage one another. Spirit, I pray that you would increase our our care and our fellowship and our relationships with one another. God, I pray that the, the good things you're doing would just continue and that we would find ourselves enjoying living on this earth for you more and more each day. And so come, Spirit, help us, I pray. We're going to take a minute now, Spirit. I pray that you would speak to us, speak to each one of us, the, the youngest kid in the room, the teenager, the adult. Speak to us, I pray. Show us the things you want us to learn from the time we've spent together so far this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's do that. We'll take a minute. You can just look at your notes, pray, ask the Spirit to help you bring application, and then we'll sing together.